Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. Now the full member of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or household of houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name to praise it and to glorify it. We thank you for the word of God and how it is life transforming and changing. What a blessing it is to be able to teach from it today. Spirit, move within us. Be poured out in this place and in our hearts and fill us, Lord God, by your spirit that we, united in heart, might be proclaimers of the gospel and come alive for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A little bit of a side note this morning. I really, really hope that you'll make the 2 o'clock meeting a priority today. Um, if, If you're not a member of Livingstone, we still would love for you to come and, and join us at this meeting and learn more about kind of uh, what our last year we did and look to the future of what's coming up. Um, we're also going to be talking about the building and all those kind of things um, as well at that meeting. So please, 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 2 o'clock, grab somebody after this, take them to lunch, and then come back at 2 o'clock for the meeting. And uh, we'll try to keep it right at an hour, but it'll be also dependent upon your questions, okay? So um, we look forward to that family time together. You know, this week I had a the privilege. I just I gotta share share a little God story with you this this morning. Um, I'm upstairs in our offices, and the new branch manager that oversees the Waterville, the Antioch, uh, Manson, and Chelan libraries came up to get some remotes that he thought were ours, and he brought to us, and he realized they weren't ours. They belonged to the library, and he came back to get them back. Um, and it was one of those okay, this is kind of random moments, and. And I'm standing there talking with him, and then all of a sudden I realized pretty quickly this wasn't a random moment. Um, he was a pastor previously, and had been with a denomination that had moved away from the belief that this is the Word of God. And he realized how far they'd gone down that path they'd gone when he's sitting there in a meeting, and they're sitting there talking about a common definition of discipleship. And he realizes he's having a a conversation with these folks. All of a sudden, some of them thought the resurrection of Jesus Christ was just 
a nice story and that it had good moral, moral principles to be learned from it, but didn't believe in the actual event of the resurrection of Jesus. And all of a sudden he's like, these are the leaders in our church and I, I can no longer be part of this. And so he's now moved away from that and God's got him on a new path and direction. And we had so much fun um, talking about the transmission of the text and the dating of the text and, and, and all this really cool geeky stuff. Um, that was a lot of fun to talk about, Mark and priority versus Nathan priority. And, and you're like, what is all that stuff? And you d- don't worry about it. Um, it's got nothing to do with your salvation. It's just a bunch of fun for uh, academic geeks to sit around talking about, about the Bible. But it was really encouraging to hear somebody who said, I love Jesus and I will follow Jesus. And his wife, I mean, he lost, he resigned his pastorate. He lost his job, and his wife stood right beside him and said, we follow Jesus. We follow the authority of the scriptures. And if that means that we, we're going to do something that we don't necessarily enjoy doing for a time, we're going to go do it, because guess what? God will take care of us. What a beautiful common day picture of something that we're going to see in this text this morning. If you look at Acts chapter 4, verses 32, all the way through chapter 5. I want to help explain something from the jump here this morning. What is being described in Acts chapter 42, chapter 4, verses 32 to 37, is this change, this changing that has come about since the Holy Spirit has come down. God's people used to be identified primarily by birthright. But that was never God's intention. God's people were always supposed to be identified by their relationship with Him. But the Israelite people had made it all about being a Jew and all about being this racially descendant people that were God's people. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, we see a major shift and a major change in this that God's people are now identified by a people indwelt by God. And it doesn't matter what your racial, ethnic background is. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, and you're people of God. Now, this is a major shift and a major change, because usually the Jewish people would link arms. We're the people of God, and everybody else is the goyim, they're the Gentile, they're the unclean people. But this is a major shift and a major change. And the people of God, and what's really cool about this As God takes and he indwells the people, he writes the law upon their hearts and their minds by the Holy Spirit's presence. They now link arms and they now link together as God's people from all these different nations and all these different tribes. And it is so cool because all of a sudden the church looks way different. I mean, we're talking minutes, right? When Peter starts preaching, the Holy Spirit comes down, everybody's hearing people believe. Minutes later, the church looks radically different. The people of God look radically different than they did just a few minutes earlier. And God's doing something really cool through these people. The Holy Spirit now indwells them as doing these powerful signs and wonders through the apostles so that the people might believe and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And people are getting healed and demons are getting cast out. We're going to see more of that this morning. And these people are gathering together and they're linking together And they're coming together to worship God with every single thing that they have. This is one of the scariest texts in in the New Testament we're going to read this morning. 
This is where the pucker factor goes up. Maybe it already went up this morning as I'm reading this text. Wait a minute. He's talking about money, possessions, giving things away. Right? Oh, oh. Right? And, and, and we're going to see something in this morning's text that is so beautiful because God is going to take these people who come from all over and so many different backgrounds and they're going to link together and they're going to care for each other's needs. You see, God is going to do something so beautiful. He's going to use the church. He's going to teach the church to rely on one another to meet each other's needs. God is going to provide for his people through his people by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But before we move forward and we want to religiousize this thing that is taking place, I want to put a death nail in it right now. What we read about Joseph, also called Barnabas here in this text, what he's doing, he's not doing it because he wants to be valued as a religious person. He's not doing it because everybody who makes this income level or higher needs to sell their possessions. Because there's some law that's been written. No, 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 no. He's doing this because the Holy Spirit has moved. Because the saints have prayed... The Holy Spirit has been poured out and lives are being changed. And one of the way lives are being changed is that he realizes, I got this field. And, and, and God's, it's God's field. It's always been God's field. And there's people in need. I don't need this field. These people need these, this, the money that can come from this field. So I'm going to go sell my field. And I'm going to completely give these things to the apostles so that the apostles may distribute to those who have a need. Now, there's something that is so beautiful about the way Barnabas handles this. He does not bring his money that he gets from this field, which would have been a significant amount of money. He doesn't bring it before the apostles and say, I want a, a, a plaque right here that says, this row dedicated or given by or, right? He says, no, you have full understanding of what the people need. I'm not going to tell you how to spend this money. I'm going to bring, God has convicted my heart to bring this money before you so that you can distribute to the people who have a need. And it, again, but it's not because Barnabas is like, he wants people to say, oh, Barnabas, you're such a good guy. Curtis, you're so great, man. You're up here singing all the time. You're, you're practicing all the time for the worship team. It's so great. I pick on Curtis because he sits in the front row all the time. But, you know, and, you know and, and Curtis, but Curtis doesn't do that so that, oh, Curtis is such a great guy. Just like Barnabas is not doing this, like, oh, look at Barnabas. He's some righteous dude. He's doing this because the Holy Spirit has convicted his heart that that land is God's and God has a better use for it than he's using it for. That there are some people in need and that money that can be taken from that land can be distributed to those in need and God can be glorified through the sacrifice. What a beautiful picture. God is saying, here's my church. Here's my people, and I'm going to provide for my people through my people as the Holy Spirit moves and convicts their hearts. And out of relationship with the Almighty God, as they understand, like Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus, understood, I am a bondservant. I have a debt 
that no one can pay but my Lord and Savior and my God. And so I fully submit all that I have, all that I am to him. And that's what Barnabas is doing here. He's saying, God, you're my God. And because of Jesus Christ did to me and because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I want to sell this piece of property. But not my for my glory, but for God, for the good of God's people. It's so random that this guy shows up here in this text, and we're not certain he shows up everywhere else in the text again. Now, why would just randomly this, this it seems you hear this story, and all of a sudden Joseph, also called Barnabas, does this great thing. He's hit and gone. Well, Luke is a masterful author by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to set up, hey, this is what it looks like to do it right. This is what it looks like to do something after having a heart of God. And this is what it looks like to do it way wrong. Guess what? Way wrong's coming. You ready? Here we go. Let's dive into way wrong. Chapter 5, verse 1, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Sounds familiar, right? And with his wife's knowledge. Oh, boy. In it together. He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it. And he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And while it remained and sold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Anybody bothered by that text? That's a, that's a little terrifying. Why? It's such an extreme story. And compared to Joseph of Barnabas, now Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, and, and if you've been raised in the church at all as a little kid, and you've heard this story before. It, it, it's one of those stories that maybe your parents told you when you were doing something wrong, and they put the fear of God in you. They're like, you want to breathe your last? You know, keep this up, buddy. Right? You know, I mean, this is a terrifying story, and rightly so. That word that is used here, for they kept it back for themselves, is the same word that's, that's used in the Septuagint. And the Septuagint 
is a Greek translation of the Old Testament that would have occurred around mm, 250 years before Christ was born in this town of Ale- in the city of Alexandria. These pagan kings and understood that the, this Old Testament Hebrew text was very valuable. And they said to preserve that text, they wanted to translate it into Greek because Greek was the more well-known language of that time. Well, if you, and one thing that's important for you to understand that when you look at a quote of the Old Testament in the New Testament, most oftentimes, like 95% of the time, it's from the Greek Septuagint. Okay? Well, that word that's used for, they kept it back for themselves, is the same word that's used for another story in the Old Testament. And it's a gentleman by the name of Achan. And let me give you a little bit of background to Achan. Remember the, maybe you remember the story of when the, the Israelites crossed over the, the, the Jordan and they're heading to Jericho and they're going to fight and tear down Jericho, right? They march around the city seven times on that final day. They blow their trumpets. The, the walls fall down. But God had given his people specific instructions not to take any treasure, any wealth, any possessions from the city of Jericho. But there was one wicked dude, Achan, and Achan decided he was going to keep back for himself treasure from Jericho. Well, the next battle, the Israelites go out to fight the next battle as they're moving into the promised land. Many lives are lost by the Israelite people, and they lose that battle. And Joshua comes before the Lord, and he's like, Lord, why? Why did we lose these men? And he goes, you got sin in your midst. This one has grievously sinned against God. And what ends up happening to Achan and his family? They get exposed for what happened. They're taken outside of the, the tents, outside of the place where they would have camped, and they were stoned to death. You see, what's taking place here in this text is people who are presenting themselves before God. As saying one thing and doing another. Wanting the praise of men. Wanting to be recognized for their wealth and possession and their most generous and most wonderful deeds. And they want to paint this false picture of themselves. And they're lying to God. They're saying we're in covenant relationship with God, but we're breaking that covenant with God. Because here's this land that people are giving and we want the same people thinking well of us. So we're going to sell our possessions, but we're going to keep this back because God isn't going to take care of our needs. We're going to take care of our needs. And we keep money back, and they go before Peter, and they lie before Peter, and they lie before God that they have given all when they have not given all. And God takes their lives. I would agree with Piper and his assessment of this text. That as we look at how we see and perceive this text in today, we have people who identify themselves as Christians, who call themselves believers of Jesus Christ, but have never surrendered their lives to him. We want the power, the position, we want the popularity of being being amongst Christian believers. We're going to give things and people are going to think well of us. And we're going to even gain prominence and position in churches. But we've never surrendered our lives to Christ. And brothers and sisters, some of you in this room this morning may be in that camp. 
You may be thinking, you know what? I, I'm doing good things for God. I'm giving of my time. I'm giving of my tithes. I'm giving of my treasures. And, and, but I've not surrendered myself to God. And let me tell you something. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is headed your way because when we stand before God, the scriptures tell us, and this is terrifying, this is just as terrifying if not more than the story, that there are going to be people that stand before God and expect to enter into heaven with God. And Jesus is God's going to turn to them and say, depart from me for I never knew you. Because we've never surrendered our lives to God. We've been a religious people. We followed laws and rules and regulations, and we wanted to heaven on our terms. And God's saying, you don't get heaven on your terms. You get heaven on the terms of Jesus Christ. And by his grace alone. See, it's about surrender. It's about complete reliance on God. It's about this understanding that it's all God's. Last night, I'm going to tell a little story, and that's not the doggy kids. Um, Elijah went out to the Tolo dance last night, had a lot of fun, and um, had a hard time getting home on time. Cut a little bit too short, but the car wouldn't start, and the car slid off the road. And he's 15 minutes late, and, and Christy and I, and I'm in bed, and I am, I'm pleading with God that he's okay. And I felt like God was just through the Holy Spirit saying, what are you preaching on tomorrow, Morris? Reliance, is he mine or is he yours? He's yours, God. He's always been yours. Our kids, our wealth, our possessions, our very breath in our lungs is God's. They're his. And he wants us to bring it all before him and say, it's yours, God. And, I want, and it, we have to keep doing that. This isn't a one and done thing. It's, it's a daily surrender to God. Like, it's all yours. It's all yours, God. And that's what God wants from us. All of it's yours. That word bondservant that Mary uses is so beautiful. And I keep going back to it because here is this teenage girl who's got this huge faith in God. And we can look to and say, man, I want faith like that. And she just says, my life is yours. That's what Joseph, the, also known as Barnabas, was doing. My life is yours. My possessions are yours. Use with them as you will. Ananias and Sapphira said, we want everybody to think my life is yours, God, but really it belongs to me. And God was giving a very clear statement to the early church. You don't get it both ways. You're either God's or you're not. It's either all his or it's not. God uses this powerful picture to send a warning to his people. Be mine. Be fully mine. What's great is this story bleeds into another story that's part of this this text, and as we look, as we continue on in Acts chapter 5, we see the apostles are out and doing many signs and many wonders. Here in verse 12, he says, Now many signs and wonders were being regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all gathered together in Solomon's portico, and none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. 
And don't miss verse 14, please. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women, verse 15, so that. Circle that. This is not separate from this previous verse. This is an absolute part of the verse. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. Listen, believers, people were believing in Jesus Christ and their lives were being changed by Christ. And so what did it make common sense for them to do? My life's been changed by Jesus. So I want to bring everybody that I know to Jesus so, so that they might understand who Jesus is. And so they bring him to Peter and say, hey, God is working through these men so that their lives can be changing other people's lives. The gospel was being poured out, lives were being changed, and people were being physically healed so that the demonstration of what was taking on inside could be reflected on the outside. It's this beautiful picture. And so, and so you're thinking, man, this is fantastic. Everybody must be loving these guys. But there were some individuals, these religious leaders that really didn't like it. So much so that we go on the text, and I'm not going to read through all of it. They, get, they come and they arrest the apostles, and they take him to jail. And it's like crazy, right? They're healing people. They're helping people. They're pointing people to God, and what are, they, what are they? The religious leaders say, wait a minute, you're a threat to my power, position, prominence. So I'm going to put you in jail. And then they convene together. All these religious high-esteemed leaders, high priests, they come together and they're trying to figure out what to do with these guys. And what's so cool about the apostles is the apostles are saying, okay, we'll go to jail. Okay, we'll stand before the Sanhedrin. We'll stand before the religious leaders who hate our guts and want to see us dead. We're okay. What's really cool is we read in this text that when they were imprisoned, the uh, chief priest sends for the captain of the guard. But before that happens, I want to tell you a little story that happens first. I don't want to miss out on this. That as they're put in prison, there's this incredible event that takes place. Now imagine yourselves preaching the gospel one day. You're in Saudi Arabia, you're in China. Future reality for America, I believe. And somebody comes along, and in order to shut you up, puts you in prison. And you're in prison, and all of a sudden an angel walks through the door and says, let's get out of here. And you go through these doors with this angel, but... And he's going back behind you, locking all the doors, so that when the, when the guards come back later to get you out, the doors are all locked. And it looks as if you just were taken out completely of the prison and didn't even walk through the door. And where does the apostles go after being released from jail? Right back to teaching. Right back to the temple, Right? Haven't they learned they're not wanted in the temple anymore? But that's where the greatest amount of people were to hear them. People were coming there to every day to worship and to understand who God was. And they're like, hey, we want to teach these people who the one true God is. And so they're going back to the temple in order to teach, in order to instruct. And the, 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 
Sanhedrin gets together and says, what do we do with these guys? And there's Gamaliel who's warning them, hey, you be careful here. Remember these two other dudes? They were, they were false teachers. And, 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 and when they rose up, we were able to push them aside and it died off. And this other guy rose up and his false teaching, and we, we took care of him and, and his teaching died off. But these guys, these guys won't stop. And it only seems to be spreading and getting worse. So be careful what you do here. So being careful is beating them. And releasing them. Why are the chief priests and the leaders so threatened? Because they were trying to protect their religion. You see, being a religious person is exhausting. Being a person devoted to a religion is exhausting. Because to be part of that, and, and, and you're like, wait a minute, what is Christianity? Christianity is about relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay? And he's our defender. But being part of religion and having all these rules, look at, in order to protect their religion, and pro they had to protect their power. So they're the chief priests. They're the head guys in charge. Everybody gives them little gifts. And little, little, oh, walking through the streets, oh, he's the high priest, you know. You know, they love their power, they love the position, so they're going to do what's necessary to protect the power. Brothers and sisters, how exhausting. They also have to protect their popularity, their standing with the people. Hey, I love in these texts where it says they didn't kill him at that moment because they feared the people. So they were trying to protect their power, protect their popularity without doing what they truly wanted to do and which is off with their head. They're also trying to project their position within this religion. You see, Jesus Christ is about surrendering all of our lives to him so we don't have to bear that burden of protecting. And what's scary to me is I watch Christians every once in a while try to protect Jesus. And it often looks like Jesus goes from being God, King, Lord, Savior, to being this cuddly guy that just wants to, to love you and hug you. He's not really going to call your sin, sin. He's not going to really ask you to have you, you, your life radically changed for him. Are you kidding me? He's the King of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He's the one that sits on the righteous throne that someday he's going to return on a white horse, tattoo, flames, swords, slaughtering. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And yet he is the one that goes to the cross. And he dies for our sins. And he gets up and he walks out of the grave so that we might have a relationship with him, so that we might be part of the family of God. Don't mistake his servanthood. His obedience to the Father is weakness, please. He is almighty God. And because he's God, we can let him be God, and we can let him rule and reign in our hearts and lives, and we can have our lives transformed by him, and we can show other people what it looks like to have their lives transformed by him.
You know, last night we were reminded of all the, the problems that are in our school system. You know, kids are getting arrested just last night at the dance. Drugs and alcohol, sex in the bathrooms. I mean, I'm, I could go on. And we can stare at that. And we could say we got all these problems in our schools and we just need the, the, right, the right politicians, the right principals, the right teachers. Are you kidding me? We need Jesus. Jesus needs to invade our schools. Jesus needs to invade our hearts, and he needs to give us courage so that we can speak into this, because guess what? Rules don't create righteousness. Jesus gives righteousness. Jesus changes hearts. And what's so cool is you see this believed by the apostles. And so they're saying Jesus is the one that can change even these people's hearts. And so I don't have to sit here and protect my power and position. I just tell people about Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the power of God demonstrated before all mankind. And so they keep talking about Jesus, and they can say, I can surrender my life because to surrender my life is the greatest glory of all because I get to be with Jesus. Let me remind our church body, if you want to go to heaven for any other reason than to be with Jesus, we need to read the scriptures again, and let me point you back. That's the only reason we should want to go to heaven. It's to be with him. And the apostles know this. And their life of complete reliance, they're saying, Lord, we're completely relying on you for our spiritual lives. You can take them today and we're going to be with you in glory at the next moment. And they believe it and they know it. I look at the religious leaders and I'm exhausted thinking about how they're having to scheme and how they're having to manipulate and how they're having to control to keep their power position and to keep their popularity. Where the disciples, they're free. They're free as they watch. They're relying on God to be rescued out of prison. They're relying on God to be rescued from their sin. They're relying on God for what real, true authority looks like in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you know what a life of reliance looks like? Let me read for you the end of this text. Starting in verse 41, Then they left the presence of the council after getting beat, okay? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. What is he saying here? That Jesus is the promised one. He's the Messiah. He's the one through which we all have hope. You you see, a life of reliance, a life of complete surrender to God is a life filled with joy. Because we don't have to pick up that burden of defense of, of, of our power, of our position, of our wealth, of our property. We can surrender to God as the Holy Spirit puts it upon our heart to surrender more and more to God. We can give it up with joy, knowing that what he's going to, be, to do with it is going to be our, to our benefit, to the benefit of the church body, and to the glory of God. We're seeing out of the apostles a life of complete, total reliance on God and surrender and for them it leads to more and more joy as the gospel goes forth so my question to us this morning 
is what are we holding on to? What are we holding back? What are we saying, I'm all in for God, but we're in the back of our mind going, not really. Maybe you're here this morning and you said, you know what? I thought I surrendered my life to God. I thought I, you know, asked Jesus into my heart and all that. You know, I walked an aisle. I, I prayed a prayer, but I'm realizing that I have never told Jesus, my life is yours. Take it. Do with it as you will. It is for your glory. It is for your good. And I want my life to be a praise and worship a sacrifice to you. And if this morning is that morning, we will rejoice with you. We will pray with you as you surrender. And we understand that this is the beginning of a journey of surrender because of the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit working in our lives is today we're thinking we're completely surrendered. And tomorrow he's going to show up and he's going to say, little pocket over here, you didn't surrender that to me yet. And then we're going to surrender that. We're going to come a pocket over here. We're going to surrender. And that's the beautiful thing. And the great thing about that is the more we surrender, the greater their joy. Piper says that the, the more we surrender to God, the greater the delight in him. God wants to give us this abundant life. Surrender, reliance in God is not drudgery, is not rule, and it's not law. And that lie is a myth that the world wants to tell you. God is saying, surrender it all to me and experience joy like you've never had it before. Joy in the midst of every circumstance, in every situation, there's joy to be had by complete surrender to God. Maybe it's our wealth and our possessions that we're holding on to. Maybe it's relationships that we're holding on to. God, when you fix this relationship, or, or God, when you, when you take care of that, or maybe it's unforgiveness. There are things that we hold on to in this world that we need to surrender to God. Say, God, it's yours. Please take it. I want it all to be yours. So that I might know, know the abundant, joyful life in you. Tom got up and shared about the Honduras trip. And I've heard, and I know, in our congregation, there are people that have said verbally, and I've overheard it, and I took note, I will never leave the United States of America. I won't do it. I won't do it. I'm telling you what, you need to surrender that to God today. You need to give that to God and say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. And if you want me to go to Honduras, this month, sign me up. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm too old to go. Tom, how old are you? <laughs> Sorry, you hate to put you on the spot. 29. Um, he uh, yeah, he could surrender that pride to God right now. You know, uh, 84, 84 years young. And he's saying, I'll go. Not only am I going to go, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to lead others. I'm going to help them through this time. Which, if you've ever led during a missions trip, you know it's spiritually, emotionally just exhausting. But Tom's like, he, he wants to go see Jesus with his boots on. And I know that of Tom. And I know that of Ellen both. They want to serve God. They want the last thing coming out of their mouths to be the praise of God and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they live like it. What a great example for us. Learn from our, your elder and his wonderful bride. If God is, if he's tickling your heart, you need to go to Honduras, then go. 
then go. It's going to be amazing, and it's going to break you. And you're going to shed tears. And, but the more you surrender, the greater your joy, and you're going to come back filled with the joy of the Lord. And worst case, you don't come back, and you're with the Lord. It's bonus. I mean, it's just bonus, right? I'm not going to lie to you. I don't get here to sugarcoat things. You know, I'm a military guy. You know, they always told chaplains, be ready to do three things on a moment's notice. Preach, pray, and die. Brothers and sisters, serving God, what a great way to go. But we're not expecting it. We're expecting God to come back and you share the stories of what God's doing there and more hearts and lives get changed because people will be praying, united in prayer for the Spirit to be poured out through you so the proclamation of the gospel happens so the church comes alive in Honduras. I'm so excited because I keep hearing people say, man, I'm loving that 6 o'clock prayer time. We were, we were downtown Manson last night at Ancestry Cellars praying at 6 o'clock that the Spirit would be poured out right there in the midst of all that. Isn't that cool? And I know it's happening all over the valley. And what's cool is, is people who even haven't been attending LSC for a while, they're getting these text messages to pray. And they're like, we're not even sure why we're supposed to be praying, but you know, we're really enjoying this that we're supposed to be praying. Sweet! That's, God's going to work and he's going to move. What are we holding back from God? Last night, for me, it was my son. Oftentimes, for me, it's, it's this church body and the direction and the way forward as I'm trying to... Uh, it's God. What is it that we're, we're holding back from God? Let today be a day of beautiful, wonderful surrender. Please join me in prayer. Thank you, Lord for this morning, for your word. And Lord God, thank you for the great warning that you give to us through Ananias and Sapphira. And also through the, the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the religious rulers that were trying to control and manipulate and hold on and not surrender. Lord God, may we be a people of perpetual surrender. Lord God, that as you convict our hearts, we surrender. And we delight in the joy of knowing that we're completely yours. For you are good. You are great, glorious, and gracious. And you delight to give us this abundant life through our Savior Jesus Christ filled by the power of the Spirit. May each day that we live be an exciting, wonderful adventure in seeing where we're going to need to surrender next and lean into you more. That when we go and we stand before you, May we shout with the greatest shout of joy as we fall on our faces and proclaim the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ who paid it all so we could be fully His. In Jesus' most wonderful name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit.
Amen. We move into our time of, of, of sharing a few God stories this morning, and hopefully as we're preaching during this time that we uh, had some thoughts come to mind. Maybe this week you had an opportunity to surrender something, or maybe you need to stand up and do kind of what I did today and say, you know what, I, I need to surrender this area, and I need you to help me pray to do that. So who's got a God story? How's God been hero this week? There we go. I'm visiting first time at the church, but I just wanted to say I came into this town not knowing anybody and not knowing where to go. And I called every contractor in town looking for a job, and I'm going to work for Mr. Harkey, but that's not the cool part. <laughs> the, uh, the cool well, part is I found a brother in Christ, and it was immediately uh, very clear to me who I was talking to. And, of course, I'm not a kid, and I've been around the block, and I've been in this business a long time, and to meet someone that's so transparent and godlike, and then... He said, do you have a place to stay? And here I am at the RV park uh, until I find a more permanent place. Do you have a church? Come come visit my church. And my wife's at home just praising God. It's just been beautiful. So there's a God story. Amen. Thank you. All right, the newest person visiting us has got a God story. Come on now. Come on now. There we go. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> uh, so two weeks ago, I had a baby girl. And uh, it's, been, it's been great, and I uh, appreciate all the encouragement that uh, people in the congregation have given us from our neighbors to the pastor stopping by to say hi. And, uh, you know, Jen, the Artner doctor. Wherever she is, anyways, it, w- it was just like sort of overwhelming to um, the feeling of uh, support and excitement it was. Uh, I mean, it's always fun having a healthy baby girl um, to take home, but um, to know that everybody else was excited with us was, was sort of uh, exciting. And I think that's different this time because the last two times we had a kid, um, the kid went to the Nick. Our our daughter Juliet spent weeks in the NICU right afterwards, and Tabitha was hospitalized, and her dad was in the hospital, so it was like super stressful and and uh, you know hard time. But it was you know it turned out okay. Hey, and uh, and then our son, who was born in like an instant, you know, she's like, I think I'm having contractions, and, and he was almost born in the car, so <laughs> that was really a thing. But this one went uh, really smooth, and it was just amazing. Um, how God has blessed us with uh, beautiful kids and a, and a beautiful church that supports us and loves us. And, uh, yeah, it's unbelievable that this is my life. And uh, mm. thank you, guys. One more? Okay. I like to talk. I'm going to sing too much. Um <laughs> Our life group, we get together um, on a weekly basis, and um, we are at a a point where we're starting to share um, 
basically our kind of our God story of how he's changed our um, hearts and lives. And you basically have like three minutes, you know, because nobody, I could probably talk for, for an hour. <laughs> um, but um, we, I wouldn't really, wouldn't, I don't, didn't know we were going to be actually sharing that many really. Um, and Glenn's like, yeah, we're around this chapter. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, I wrote some details about that. And he's like, okay, Christy, you're on. And, and so we just sat around the table and he just kind of take a breath and go, okay, God. And then I just spoke that, and I don't know, maybe it was pushing five minutes, but, um, and, but each of the, their feedback was just like, wow, like, thank you, I learned more about you. And so, yeah, so it's a great, safe place to, to do that. But even this morning, as Scott was talking about the religiosity and stuff, it, it kind of quirked back to even just that brief time of sharing with um, my brothers and sisters about, you know, I wasn't living for the Lord knew I wanted the benefits of living for the Lord. So, like, once I became a freshman in high school, like, I was full of religiosity. Oh, my. But it wasn't until after my freshman year during, um, you know, I'd gone on a mission trip. I was making <laughs> proclamations for Jesus at school. So I was, you know, but I, like, that heart surrender didn't happen until the, at the acquired tour after my freshman year. Um, so between that. So, but just as you were talking, I was like, yeah. My freshman year was pretty exhausting. Like I was just doing all the right things, but but when that surrender came, which was the hardest part, like then it was beautiful. So.